0: Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today.
1: One game in and the Nuggets already look like the runaway favorites some thought them to be. Do the Heat have any chance? Also, can the Celtics improve even if they keep Joe Missoula? And why Jimmy G may never play a snap for the Raiders? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're Locked On Sports Today.
2: Searching all major
1: sports.
0: Found. Let's start with the biggest story.
1: Game one of the NBA Finals went much the way many thought it would. It was an impressive Nuggets win 104 93 in Denver. Joining me now from the arena in Denver, Matt Moore from Locked On Nuggets and Wes Goldberg from Locked On Heat. It is a two for one. And Matt, this is the biggest stage for Nikola Jokic. He delivered. Uh, What did you see in game one that he was able to take advantage of?
3: Yeah, really impressive. You know, I think the Heat came in with a game plan to make him into a passer or into a scorer rather, and instead he racked up the assists early, only three field goals early, and then he's able to get scoring going on. When they tried to play him one-on-one, he went to the scoring in the post, hitting a big three in the third quarter. Jokic had pretty much the full game going on. If the Heat are going to be competitive in the series, they're going to have to come up with a lot more tricks than they had in game one to slow down Nikola Jokic.
1: What about the flip side of this though because Bam Adebayo 26 13 and 5 in this one this was his best game of the postseason any any lingering concern about what they were what they did at least defensively against him Yeah I
3: think so I think there's some concern look the Nuggets are are used to this in terms of their rotation is always going to leave that spot on the floor open for the short roll big They'll probably improve in terms of getting to that spot earlier. But also, you got to keep in mind, the Bam had, had 26 on 25 shots. That yeah. kind of efficiency is just not going to get it done versus Denver with how efficient they are with their offense. So really what this is going to do is it's going to put a lot of pressure on Bam to be even better while guarding Jokic and leading the second unit. It's a lot that they're asking Bam out of bio. He was great, I thought, in game one, despite the 26 on 25. I thought he took the shots that he needed to He knocked him down. He battled Jokic as much as possible, and it just wasn't enough. He's going to need more help. In game two.
1: Yeah, Wes, speaking of that help, Jimmy Butler, six of fourteen in this one, just thirteen points. And and really, this is a continuation of um what has been kind of some lackluster play, at least scoring over the last couple of weeks. What's going on with Jimmy Butler right now?
4: Yeah, I mean, he was passing up shots at the rim that he probably should have been taking, especially against uh a Denver defense that I thought they were giving up open three pointers, but the Heat weren't making them. So and and Denver was making so many points at the rim that I thought for the heat, you had to get as many as you could. And he was just passing those up. And like you said, it's sort of been a trend since he hurt his ankle in in early on in that Knicks series. I don't know if it's a lack of lift. I don't know if there's some hesitation there, but he said after the game that he's feeling great. I don't know how much I believe him, but they're going to need a much more aggressive Jimmy Butler. The one thing I would keep an eye on is it's kind of been like, all right, three quarters of passivity with him. And then maybe a takeover in that fourth quarter that kind of felt a bam in game one, but I do wonder if we'll see some spurts of dominance from Jimmy Butler as the series goes on. I think that's probably the best that he fans can hope for. Uh,
1: Matt, you, you noticed early in the game, there was a play where, where Jimmy got the switch he wanted and then passed out of it. And it was just sort of like, what is, what exactly is going on here? Did you think there was anything defensively that Denver did that, that you liked to create some, at least some indecision in his game? a lot of it i honestly thought was they had so much space
3: in the middle and they've been playing a team in the celtics they want to take away all that space so when they got there they didn't really seem to know what to do with it There was a lot of passing kind of just randomly around the the, the perimeter Butler would get into space, and when he did try and take pull-up jumpers, that's not really his game. He missed them pretty badly. So then he was just flipping the ball out, and then they would just rotate it and rotate it. Now, in the fourth quarter, I thought that they got much sharper, better looks. They hit down their threes. They actually took those shots and made them. The question is how much of that was Denver letting their foot off the pedal with a big lead versus Miami figuring something out offensively. It's probably a little bit of both, which is why I would expect game two to be more competitive.
1: Yeah, Wes, I I think if if you're the Heat, you have to be thinking, okay, Caleb Martin goes one of seven. Max Struess goes over over for, for 10 in this one and they shoot just 33% from three. Is this, is this any, any more complicated than just make some shots?
4: They have to make shots. And I actually thought they got some really good open shots too. And they just missed them. Duncan Robinson, like sidestepping and, and, and dribbling into an, an air ball or kind of clanked it off the, 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 the backboard there. Um, You don't expect the Heat to shoot this poorly. They have been shooting so well for most of these playoffs. Uh, I expect that they'll shoot better. I don't know if it was just a matter of tired legs coming off of the Eastern Conference Finals, getting used to the altitude, whatever, Uh, but they're going to have to shoot better. It feels like this is a series where their floor has to be about 40% from three-point range if they're going to have a chance uh, to keep up with Denver's high-powered offense.
1: And they shot 40% against uh, the Celtics and against the Bucs. So it's not crazy to think that they could do it in a series like this. Guys, um, way too much agreement when you're this close in the arena after a after game, one of the finals. We'll have to get you to fight a little bit on the next one. I appreciate the time. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Stay up to date all year on the Miami Heat by subscribing to Locked on Sports today and Locked on Heat on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Thanks for making Locked on Sports today your first listen. Coming up, can the Celtics keep Joe Mazzulla and win a championship? Next year. Before we answer that, we may have a ruling on the John Morant situation soon. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA Finals because right now new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's up to $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com and sign up today to claim your no sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to who's going to win the NBA Finals. The line has moved dramatically toward the Nuggets after their Game 1 win. FanDuel has Denver minus 800 to win the NBA championship. And if you still think the Heat can come back, FanDuel has their odds plus 550. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA.
0: Now, here's what you need to be
1: locked on today. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver indicated he has reached a decision regarding looming disciplinary action against Memphis Grizzlies superstar guard John Moran, but would wait until after a champion has been crowned in the finals to announce the punishment. The Grizzlies suspended Moran on May 14th pending league review after a social media post circulated showing the All-Star brandishing a gun the NBA suspended Moran for eight games after a similar incident in March – yes, we're here again – when Morant traveled to New York to meet with Silver and other league officials to discuss the issue. Jim Harbaugh cites a vetting error that led to the hire of the now former Michigan assistant Glenn Schembeckler. The son of legendary Michigan coach Bo Schembechler, Glenn stepped down from his position just three days after being hired. Beckler engaged in flippant behavior on Twitter, which included numerous offensive and insensitive posts. When someone is fired three days after joining the team, questions are asked of those who hired him. Of that, Harbaugh said, I read the report myself. We have a company that vets social media and they came back and cleared him. We got a new company doing that now, but they've got to be better. Harbaugh later said he takes full responsibility. Patrick Kane was set to be an interesting free agent target for many hopeful contenders in the NHL this season, but this season will not start on time for him. Kane underwent successful hip resurfacing surgery on Thursday, and his agent says he will likely be out for six months resurfacing, normally something you do to like the floors. If it's going to happen to your hip, that seems like pretty serious surgery, and a six month timeline tells you that hip resurfacing is an alternative to hip replacement. No, he's not 64, he's 34. Kane just finished up his last season with the New York Rangers after having spent the first 1,100-some games with the Chicago Blackhawks. On the diamond, the Cleveland Guardians scored six runs and still lost to the Minnesota Twins.
0: A disheartening loss, that is for sure. After that five-run inning, it felt so good, right? They just took two out of three from Baltimore. They took two out of three from the Cardinals flying high. Offense is performing well. Young Gabby Arias looks like he should be a fixture. <sighs> Why does the bullpen... The bullpen numerically has been good this year. They just keep blowing up at the wrong times. Trevor Steffen pitching for his third time in four days after throwing 20 pitches yesterday. Not ideal. He gets gives up three. Uh, that was maybe not the guy to go to. Eli Morgan was not sharp. And they give up four runs in the final few innings. Gabby Arias and Will Brennan with multi-hits. Uh, you know, the offense was there for them today. Tanner Bibe was solid. It was a good start for him. And the fifth he came a little unraveled, but it was a solid start. The problem is his bullpen has been heavily used and it fell apart again today. Guardians drop a game they should have won to the Twins.
1: And the Astros beat the Angels.
5: This is Eric Heisman with the Lockdown Astros podcast. And after a game where nothing went right for the Houston Astros against the Twins on Thursday night... Everything seemed to go right. Ronel Blanco was called up uh, to join the rotation. The Astros now are going to use a six man rotation, at least for now. And this was Ronel Blanco's first official big league start. And he showed a little bit of everything in this game. He um, pitched five and one thirds innings. He had three walks, five strikeouts, allowed one home run, seven hits, two earned runs. And so, he showed a little bit wildness early in the game and he got uh, the bases loaded in the second inning, had a lot of traffic throughout the game, including the sixth inning when Dusty Baker tried to get a little bit more out of him. But Bregman had a big clutch um, two run hit there. Then you had Jose Abreu with two RBIs on the game and a lot of offense in this game. So we'll talk about this on tonight's Locked On Astros podcast
0: is another story you need to know
5: the
1: boston celtics are not playing in the nba finals and so that had some people a little surprised when brad siemens came out with a vote of confidence in head coach joe missoula and then later said he wants to keep jalen brown as well maybe a little less surprised about the jalen brown part of this john corrales from locked on celtics joins me now and john i think the question that i keep coming back to is if it seemed inevitable, Joe Mazzulla would be out if the Celtics lost game four in the Heat series. Why is it so different that it happened in game seven? Well, I'll push back on that. It was inevitable
6: that he'd be out if they lost in game four. Okay. I, don't, I don't think that that was inevitable at all. Um, I think now, obviously, there would have been a lot of pressure and outside of the team, there would have been a lot of momentum building for that. Um, but I don't think the team had an appetite To hire a fourth coach in four years. Let let me, let me be just clear on this is the last head coaching change Brad Stevens will make while Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are here. If he does it, he's got one more in him. He's not going to waste it after one year of Missoula. If they're going to do it, they're going to give Joe the opportunity to plan for a whole summer, which he didn't get, build his own coaching staff, which he didn't get, and let's see what happens after this other year. Because this next coaching hire, if there is a next one, has to be absolutely perfect, or else the whole thing comes crashing down. Well,
1: and, and aside from, of course, their season come, c- coming crashing down, um, they want to make sure that this does not happen again. Um, there, there's not much they, they can do in terms of um, additions if you were to talk about okay Joe gets a full offseason to build a roster in his image this isn't college football he doesn't get to go out and recruit some five stars um, the team is the team especially with the supermax looming for Jalen Brown how do you think that affects the future of the Boston Celtics I think considering the new collective bargaining agreement
6: which is this is the biggest wild card in, in this, you know, for the Celtics right now. Yeah. More than any of the players, more than the coach. It's how do they navigate this new collective bargaining agreement, which will be extraordinarily restrictive? So for Jalen Brown, I anticipate they will give him the full 35% supermax. Mm. And he will accept. And we all move forward and we see how it goes. Now could they play a game and say, "Hey, we had all the intentions of giving you 35 percent?" And then you, Jalen, vice president of the Players Association, and your union, agreed to this deal, and as a result of this deal, we are in a serious financial crunch. So we'd like to see how you feel about 32 and a half percent, or 33 percent, or 32 percent plus uh, incentives as escalators to get you to that 35. If, if you get there. So if you win a championship, great, 35, no problem. But if you don't, then sorry. Uh, that might,
1: might, might be a game they play. If they give him the Supermax and he's making $50 million and you give Jason Tatum the Supermax and he's making $50 million, $60 million, that's your team. It's those yeah. guys and some ancillary pieces. How much do you think the last couple of weeks impacts Boston's willingness to say, yeah, easy decision. Here's here's a pair of Supermaxes, guys.
6: Well, I feel like they can make that decision, and then in two years, Jalen Brown is still in his prime, and if it doesn't work here, you can still trade him. So it's still a matter of you give him the money. Um, I, I I don't think you nickel and dime a guy at this level knowing that he has some shortcomings. Yes, I understand all of that stuff. Um, but. When it comes to building a team in the NBA, especially right now with this CBA, the the way it is, just no one knows how the, the, the ripple effect of this is going to impact the league. Right? So I think Boston might just be in a, let's just sign our two guys, keep our two guys kind of hunker down and kind of look and say, all right, how's this all shaking out? Uh, is there a way to build around these two guys anymore, or do you have to trade one in two years? I I say there's probably a year or two window right now for Boston with Tatum and Brown.
1: Stay up to date all year on the Boston Celtics by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Celtics on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Coming up, is it possible Jimmy G never plays a snap for the Raiders? Jimmy Garoppolo has an injury-plagued career on his hands. The Las Vegas Raiders knew this. And as your boy Q points out to Kevin Ostriker on a recent locked-on NFL episode, they're protected.
2: Well, you're right. It kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, we all knew that back in March, things weren't great when he had to push back the day that he was signing his contract and meeting with the media, but it sounded like it was just a little small dotting the I's, crossing the T's on the contract. Come to find out, as you mentioned, you know, failed physical. They actually changed his contract a lot where they took away all the signing bonus. They haven't paid him a dime. Let's put it like that. They haven't paid him a dime yet. And until he actually passes his physical, they're not going to pay him a dime. And so there's actually the worst case scenario for the Raiders that Jimmy G never, ever suits up for the silver and black, which is insane. Right. If you had told me that a few months ago, I'd have told you you're crazy. But that's a real scenario that that could happen if he doesn't uh, pass his physical due to the, the foot injury. And so, you know, in San Francisco, he didn't go and get the foot surgery because he thought that he could rehab it. They said he didn't need it. They could just rehab it and it'd be all good. And maybe he can even play at the end of the season if they needed him to. Well, he obviously didn't play. But man, now knowing that not only did he have surgery, it sounded like at one point, and I kind of got an idea about this like last week, or uh, early last week, that that he wasn't fully ready to go for OTAs. I didn't realize that it, it, it sounds like it could be a lengthier uh, process than what I thought, right? It sounded like for the most part, everyone believed he'll be ready for training camp maybe he will be ready for training camp, but it doesn't really sound like it at this point. It sounds like this could be a really long stretch, a long process, and uh, who knows, man? I mean, this this could go a bunch of different ways, but I think the, the quarterback position for the Raiders now is really up in the air.
1: The thing about not having Jimmy G on your roster this season is the next best option is Brian Hoyer. And while you might say, well, that's a disaster for the Raiders, and it is, in the long term, it might actually be the best thing for the Raiders because they're not paying Jimmy Garoppolo money to be a middling team. Even if he's on the roster, he's still likely going to play what? 6, 8, max 10, 12 games. Even if he plays 17 games, the Raiders are not a playoff team. So why did they sign him in the first place? That's a good question. Except we, we know the answer. It's because there's already going to be pressure on Josh McDaniels to win right now. Now, if they don't sign Jimmy G, there are some trade options. Guys like Ryan Tannehill could be available. Trey Lance could be available. Uh, It's not a great, the best option long-term would be to punt on this season. They are not going to win games no matter who the quarterback is. Josh McDaniels doesn't want to hear that, but from a team-building standpoint, that's the right thing to do, and this is why. Things like Prior relationship, like with Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, they go way back, can hinder your team building because the GM might not do what is best for the team. The coach may not push to do what is actually best for the team long term because it affects their job security. Their job, number one, is to stay in their job. And sometimes that is at odds with what is the best for the team moving forward. This looks like one of those times. So they might have an easy out with Jimmy Garoppolo. Nope, he's not healthy. Bye. And they can just throw their hands up. And that can be the excuse. Oh, well, sorry. We didn't know about Jimmy G. He's hurt. Again, sorry. You go through the season with Brian Hoyer, You win four games. And you have a chance to draft Caleb Williams or Drake May. And now you really have an opportunity with it. That's the path to take. And they might have lucked into the best possible path. And finally, Mets pitcher Max Scherzer is not happy with the strict enforcement of the pitch clock. Before the fifth inning of Thursday's 4-2 victory over the Phillies at Citi Field, Scherzer got an intense conversation with plate umpire Trip Gibson over enforcement of the pitch clock. Major League Baseball rules state there is two minutes between innings for local broadcasts, with pitchers allowed eight warm-up pitches. But with Mets catcher Francisco Alvarez making the last out of the bottom of the fourth, delaying his arrival behind home plate... Scherzer could not finish his warm-up pitches before Gibson signaled for the start of the inning. This, of course, prompted a discussion between the pitcher and umpire. Scherzer has been an amazing pitcher for his career, but that also brings with it a cantankerous side in recent seasons. Everyone seems to like the pitch clock. uh, Unless this happens. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up Monday, what makes Nikola Jokic so inevitable? We'll snap our fingers and tell you more about the NBA's new Thanos. So at least until tomorrow, stay locked on sports today.